Well, welcome to Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. One of the aspects of being apprenticed to Jesus in the kingdom of God is that every child of God gets to play a meaningful role in God's overarching strategy to see the earth redeemed as a place of flourishing. I mean, every single human being is designed to live a life of meaning, purpose, and destiny. Of course, not everybody steps into that reality, yet that's always the opportunity. You and I as Christ followers are given different assignments of service, and in my opinion, one of the tougher assignments we can receive is working with at-risk youth within the urban core of cities. There's just so very much stacked up against these young people. So I'd like to highlight someone today that does a beautiful job in walking out his passion for the youth on the east side community here in Oklahoma City, and he does it in a very unique way because he has another passion that he loves greatly, which we're going to drill into today. Well, Marcus Jackson not only leads the Bridge Impact Center, but he is also a drummer, songwriter, engineer, and award-winning music producer. And I'm especially interested in talking about his music today and how he uses music to fulfill his calling on the earth. Well, Marcus, welcome. I've uh, I've been eagerly waiting for this time together. Yeah, I've I've um, I've been watching you for years now, and and uh, have just uh, thoroughly just in, enjoyed uh, watching how God's just unfolding everything through mm-hmm. your life, and and uh, uh, and so this is a treat that I've I've, I've got you behind the. I'm glad so, to be here. Well, well thank you. Yeah, thank finally you. got to make it to the table. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, I yeah, love yeah, it. yeah. I think you've been in front of a mic a lot more than, uh, <laughs> than I have. So, in, in much more meaningful ways. So, well, you know, why, you know, before we get started, uh, it's always, or maybe I should say, in order to get started, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back in time a bit and and because you know we're the we we're the sum of our experiences and it's not by happenstance that we find ourselves um doing what we do mm-hmm. um and 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 having the passions that we have and so generally there's uh there's something going on by that so so let's let's go back uh, and talk about uh, you and and what is it about the the whether it's a passion for youth a passion for music mm-hmm. I mean what's the what's the origins of that Wow so I I honestly feel like my passion for music came first mm-hmm. you know and it was a little odd because I wasn't always like the kid with a knack for music and rhythm and dancing you know. Um, but I was actually told, or I would say prophesied to mm-hmm. that I would minister to people and serve people through music before I was good at music. Oh, so, so when you first heard that, when you heard that, you're kind of, you had to, I mean, what what'd you think when you heard that? Um, that the person didn't know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, dude, like, I don't, I'm not interested in music. Like I wasn't. Um, How old I, were you then? Closer to 10. Okay. 10 yeah, years old. I was about 10. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were at some, you know, my mom was really big about like the culture of our home being a culture of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, she prayed in the home all the time. It was weird every time. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, as a kid, I mean, you just uh-huh. like mom's praying, you know. So you have friends over and you're like mom's praying in the back, you know, and she's praying, you know. 
And so I got to, I got to interject right now. So if any of you, some of you all, uh, if you've been listening for a while, you actually have met Marcus's mother. And and we've heard about the prayer closet. The prayer closet is real. It's Islinda Jackson. Yeah. And and she she talked about you're like giving the 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 other end of this the from a end. different a different yeah. a whole different angle. Yeah. And so okay, so so your mom is by golly, she just always seems to be hanging out in that prayer closet. In that prayer closet. And, you know, church wasn't like and it wasn't optional. You know, it was like we go to church. Um she did the best she could as a as a single mom, you know, she was a single mom for the majority of my childhood, um, to secure like boundaries, you know, for what we do in the house and what was allowed. But we still lived in a rough neighborhood. You mm-hmm. know, we still live, you know, at the end of the day, you know, single parent, three kids, um, there's still, I mean, challenges. Yeah. And so we still lived in a rough neighborhood. There was gangs, there was drugs, there's all those things existed. And so playing outside, you know, I'm not at home with mama now. Yeah. I'm out here. Yeah. You know, yeah, and so yeah, 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 my yeah. best friends, I mean, and I wasn't worried about music, you know, I was just going with the flow. So it was weird. I always had this duality where we were the family that went to church. Like my mom had uh, a big old van. <laughs> Uh-huh. And she'd be like, go get your friends. We're going to vacation Bible school. So we pack all our friends from the neighborhood in the van. And my mom would run us up the street to vacation Bible school that she organized, you know, because she just worked <laughs> with children's uh-huh. ministry and stuff like that. And so that was like the weird part, I guess, in that was that we were still in this environment. Yeah. So it was like this my mom put a level of faith and boundary and lots of prayer on us, but we were still out there, you know, on some level. Cause another side to uh, a single mom providing is they have to work a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah. if she, you know, she had made a conscious decision not to, uh, which I'm glad she did not to receive government assistance. Yeah. And so that means she had to work, yeah. you know, so she worked, you know, she was five 30 in the morning. My mom was out of there. She's gone, you know, and we would see her at five 36 that night. So she'd be out working, handling business. And so getting home at three o'clock, you know, oh, man. We, everything we want to do, we better do it. We got a couple hours and <laughs> the house better be home. clean <laughs> by the time she gets in. That was the way it went. So, you know, during those times, I guess those parentless moments that kids, teens have, our kids, yeah. um, that was when we would get in the most trouble and not get in trouble for it because no one knows. Yeah. Everybody's parents are either gone or just not, I don't care, you know. And so we're just kind of like on a, doing our own thing, unsupervised for about four hours a day after school and stuff like that. So that was when... Uh, I believe that I was exposed to the most and became more aware about gang culture, about drug culture, about um, even poverty. Like I didn't realize as a kid that we didn't have a lot of money. It didn't hit me until I started to see other people in my neighborhood and recognizing like, oh, everybody, I'm 
I think we live in a poor neighborhood. <laughs> but it didn't click, you know, yeah. right away. I mean, there was a point we lived in apartments. Um, same thing, you know, you you just have these realizations. And it happens as you get older, you know. Like, I didn't care about money at 10 years old. But, sure. you know, by 13, you know, you're like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to uh, overcome these obstacles that I'm in. But there's this level of faith, you know, at work where it's like, I pray, you know, and ask God to help and give me ideas or to help me not be in trouble and get in trouble. Because a lot of friends, you know, by the time I was a teen, you know, I had friends getting in trouble with jail. Um, I have friends getting in trouble with uh, drugs, just selling drugs or different things like that. Just, mm-hmm. And I, w- I don't want to say getting in trouble, but they were doing bad. They were risking. They were risking getting risking, in trouble. Uh, trouble. And those things were on the, you know, those were on the table for me because one thing about growing up in a community, like the normal is whatever the normal is. Yeah. And, it, and it's your normal. Like if it wasn't for my mom, then that's my normal. Yeah. But because she was consistently like on our heads and just like, huh. you know, so she's telling me, remember, you know, God said you're going to be a minister of music, you know. She's oh, telling she me speaking. That. She has a picture of me in overalls with my Ninja Turtle shirt on from second grade, second, third grade, and it has a little image. She still has it in her house, uh-huh. but this was on our wall in our house that said Marcus, uh, definition of my name, warrior, and then it said minister of music. I saw it all the time walking around the house. She just, and was like, you're going to have a vision for yourself, even if you don't see it. That, that's so interesting, Marcus, because uh, a while back we had Les Thomas on her. Of course, you know Les very yeah. well. And, and so, but his mom did the same stuff to him. This, I mean, you, yeah. it, was, it was speaking destiny, speaking a future, just yeah. consistently. Yeah. She'd pound that into him. <laughs> yeah. And it sounded like your mom did the same thing. It's not by coincidence that you meet a less and he's doing what he's doing. Yes. I don't think it's a coincidence when, even when he was trying his best to be yeah. everything but what she said, yep. it's in there. Yes. And that, I, I had multiple situations happen where I hear this voice in the back of my head saying, this ain't you, you know, Wow. where I, from everything to wanting to be jumped into a gang to, you know, just all type of crazy stuff, you know, that go Mm -hmm. on, that goes on. Um, That was kind of like the, the, the startup, but there was a point where, Music did turn on for me, you know, in the midst of all that. Mm-hmm. There was a point where I just became fascinated with sound, you know, and just everything from clicking my teeth to, you know. <laughs> and I, I mean, I would annoy the mess out of my mother. Cause I was getting ready to say clicking your teeth. I bet that yeah, went over great. Anything that made a noise, uh-huh. like I'd find a rhythm in it, you know, from a door handle to, you know, the butter <laughs> knife on the table. And she's just like, if you don't stop. <laughs> that knife is going to end up somewhere you don't want it. You know, it's just like, you better stop banging on the tables and the doors and the cabinets and my bed frame. And it just, everything was just sound to me, you know? And I didn't realize it at the time that something was manifesting 
and yeah. oh, in, in awakening. But I specifically remember I had kind of rigged and, you know, now I'm giving away my age for real because I had a cassette tape uh, set up and I would rig it to a speaker. Uh-huh. I had rigged it to a speaker, a little 12 inch speaker, uh-huh. and I would listen to music and then I would record from the radio. And then what I do is I take whatever I recorded and I, and this was popular with the, with the youngsters back in, the, in, in that time. Mm-hmm. I write all the lyrics to the song and keep rewinding it. You know, songs off the radio. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be on my floor and I'm just writing all the lyrics down. But then it like escalated to, I want to learn how to play these songs. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I hear the lyrics and that's cool, but the music behind is kind of what's drawing me in. Like I started to pick up on that. Like I'm really interested in the pianos and the strings and the drum beats that's behind all of this. And so, um, ironically enough, my mother brought me a keyboard. Okay. And there's a funny story about that, but she came home with this keyboard one day and she's like, tell me if you like this. I loved it. I, you know, I was just like, this is great. And she's, and she's also, she's plugging into your destiny. She's, she's sowing seed, right? Like she's literally like, this kid's doing music. He don't know it, but he is. So she brings home this keyboard. I rig it up, doing my normal thing to where I can play music. And I learn how to kind of record myself on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm tapping out these songs I hear on the radio, like just trying to figure out how they're doing it. You know, and that's without a piano lesson yes. or anything like that. And I come home one day from school and the keyboard's gone. I'm like, where's the keyboard? You know, where's my keyboard? I'm I'm a little frustrated about it, but everybody's like really calm about it. He's yeah. just like, oh, well, you know. And I'm like, okay. Well, that's just not fair. And it doesn't make sense. Someone robbed our house and just took the keyboard and left. Yeah, those are more valuable things. So come Christmas morning, I walk out and that keyboard's under the tree. And she said, Well, I told you I wanted you to try it out. Oh, 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 it's the same keyboard. The same keyboard. She's she pulled gifted the it. keyboard, and now, and, oh yeah, and now she's actually giving it to you. Now it's mine for real. You know, that's, yeah, that's that's a funny story. But she was very invested. I'm I'm extremely thankful that you know I had a mom who was not. You know, a lot of times you know you get parents who are really invested in what they want for you. Yeah, but she was more invested in my potential of what I was how it developed. So when you hear minister of music, you think worship leader. Yeah. And I was convinced I'm not doing that. Yeah. You know, no yeah. way, no way I can hang out in this neighborhood and I'm leading worship. You know, I don't want to do it. I don't have it. I don't think it's going to be, it's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that was how I felt like, that's just not me. So I can't see, I can't see it. I've always been in the hip hop, me, my friends, my, Hip hop is what I do, you know, uh-huh. and that was when some transition started happening. You know, um, my mom actually would bring home like gospel hip hop albums <laughs> for us to listen to, and there was a group called Gospel Gangsters. Oh yeah, 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 the gospel, yeah, sure, yeah. And I remember hearing that and saying, "Oh, now this is good." That's less, wasn't it? Was no, nah, no, no. That's that, he was mobsters of light. 
Mobsters but are like, yeah, 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 yeah. They came later. Mobsters, gangsters. Yeah, I'm, mobsters, I'm gangsters. Them you know, get them all mixed in up. You know, long as there's a light and God in yeah, there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So gospel gangsters are actually from uh, California, L.A. Okay. They were in gangs in real life. Crazy past. Crazy upbringing. Got radically saved. And they wanted to use music to impact the people in their communities. And when you hear their music, it was so real. I'm like, these guys had to really see some stuff to say what they're saying and to be able to articulate it yeah. that way. That was the, my first experience with like someone ministering in music, but for a different audience. And so uh, I don't know what my mom was tapped into to even think to bring that home. But well, we listened to. We know it. what she was tapped into. She 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 probably got the word in the prayer closet. <laughs> <laughs> the prayer closet. I'm telling you, and they were selling in Mardell. Uh-huh. You know, so we go to Mardell, and I go over to the side, and I just be sampling all the Christian hip hop, you know, projects. That was like I said, it's that duality where I'm. You know, it was almost like I was a church kid, mm-hmm. but I was also like a kid in the ghetto too at the same time, you know? So it was a weird uh, dynamic, mm-hmm. but it placed me perfectly where I needed to be. It set me up perfectly for where God was going to put me down the line. And so I believe that my environment growing up and the relationships I had, like my friends, like my brothers, you know, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. You know, when you live in a neighborhood your whole life, the guys you grow up with from grade school to senior year, you know, it's like these are, this family is beyond a neighbor, you know. That's the community that I had. And I believe that that environment, that community is what woke up the passion later in my life to serve in the community. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I believe that the seeds planted when I was younger for music. And I mean, when I say my mom dug deep, you know, like, and I, and I'm not going to give my mom all the credit because, well, there was one thing she did that was really odd, but it ended up meaning a lot down the line. She took me to a djembe drumming class. I had no idea how she found it. I didn't really care for it. I'm like, a, I don't want to play drumming class? a djembe, you know, like a, African drumming. Okay, okay, okay. And so our Latin drumming or whatever it was. But the percussionist for Carlos Santana was teaching it. And it was at OU. And my mom was dropping me off in this place where a bunch of like older, like adult hippie folks is in there (laughs) hanging out, holding drums. And I'm looking like, what in the world am I doing here? And I feel like that's been the story of my life. <laughs> what am like, I doing here? Since I was, yeah, since since then, I was always in places that felt like I'm not supposed to even be in here. Like, what is going on? Like that that feels like my first experience of like, you know, strangely enough, an African drumming class. I'm the only minority there. You know, I'm the only kid there. Everyone's adults, and I'm sitting there like. What am I? Why did you sign me up for this? You know, but I ended up learning a lot. Um, and I ended up loving to play percussion. 
Uh-huh. Like I learned more about percussion in a setting like that than what was being taught at school and things like that. You know, they don't pull out a djembe or congas and and high school band or middle school band. Right. And so those experiences were a lot, but then there was band. I actually, in middle school band, I went to Webster Middle School at that time. I don't know what Webster is now, but at that time it was unbelievable. Rough, yeah. yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, in a lot of the middle school, the inner city middle schools were tough in high schools during that time. Douglas, Moon, uh, Har- uh, Hoover Middle School, and um, Webster were all tough schools. But I had had this interest in music. Like it woke up. So I'm about 11, 12 now. And I'm in this class. I'm playing the music. I'm actually enjoying band. The band was terrible. <laughs> it wasn't good, but I was having a good time. I'm I'm playing in the back, you know, doing what I do. Well, we had a spring concert coming up or maybe in a winter concert. And I'm thinking, these guys aren't ready. You know, my my section, they're not ready. So I start, I tell everybody, come here. Let me tell you your part. Let me tell you your part. Let me tell you your part. The band teacher comes in and she says, what are you doing? You know, y'all go sit down. What are you doing? And I said, well, I'm telling everybody their parts. And she said, how do you know? I said, because I'm reading it. Like you taught me how to read it. And one thing she said was like, most of the kids here don't even listen or care. This is just an elective. Yeah. And she said, I see the kids that you're hanging with. I see the groups, you know, through the hallways and all of that. You need to get out of this school. You need to go somewhere. And she recommended that I transfer to a school of music and arts, which was class in SAS, uh-huh. which was a few years from open reopening. And so that's how I ended up at Classen was actually a recommendation from my middle school band teacher that said, okay. I see I see a light here. This is your way out. You know, a lot of these kids don't have such a clear way out, but this is yours. So just like that, I'm pulled out of class. And, you know, I go home, tell my mom. She's like, perfect. You know, don't get kicked out. I got in trouble. So she's like, don't get kicked out. And we're good, <laughs> you know. And I ended up at class and where the music teaching, the arts, all of that was just, it was just another level. Like, yeah, everything that I feel like I needed to, like, grasp onto for music they were just giving it to us. And I mean, they had pianos on each floor in the hallways. I mean, you're at schools with other talent. I went to school with uh, Adam and Kizzy. You know, mm-hmm. I went to school with a lot of people that even to this day are doing amazing things in the arts. Um, and me and Adam Ledbetter are like in the hallway making music on the keyboard and, you know, making drums with our hands and doing all that and writing songs. And that, it was just a different uh, element, but I knew at that point, like music's my thing. Like this, it comes too natural. It feels too good. Like I didn't have a vision for what I would do with it, but I knew that I, I'd definitely be a musician of some sort. That's when that woke up. The mission side of me woke up in college, but music that woke up, I say middle school was probably like, that point where I wanted drum lessons. I wanted 
piano lessons. I wanted guitar lessons. Like I just wanted to do something, anything available. Sign me up. I want to learn it. Like I need to know this stuff because I can hear it. And I don't, I don't know how to create it if I don't understand it. And that was kind of the thing where it's like, there were things I wanted to do musically, but I needed to pick up, I needed to have something in my hand to where I can learn it and, and use it. Well, so what did you do? You know, uh, so you, you, you get to the, to the next level there at class in SAS and then, and then, uh, and, and, and then you're going to college and, but, there was a, a point in time in which it really started getting in a, at another level. Yeah. And so, and so what did that look like? So that happened young. So 16, uh, sophomore year in high school, I started working and Marcus with a paycheck, different guy. <laughs> I can buy every piece of equipment my heart desired. So I started to just start upgrading and buying a piece here, another instrument here, you know. And that's also the time that music started to go digital. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got to get a computer. I got to get a few wires, you know. Now that's just the way it goes, period. Yeah. Excuse me. And so um, once I was able to have the tools I needed I stopped going outside to play, you know, funny story. So it's not funny. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, he actually went to jail for a little bit and, you know, but he's one of my guys. We grew up together, man. I mean, love, love each other, you know, really good friends. Um, he had got out of jail and he had wanted to, it's like the the way things go. You get out of jail, especially if you go in young, you want to go back to the old neighborhood and see who's still around. So he goes there. I'm there. And he's like, oh, snap. He's still here. I'm like, well, I left and came back. But yeah, I'm here now. And we were just standing outside just talking. And he said, man, we didn't realize at the time, but you were really blessed. He was like, you had music. He was like, you stopped coming outside to run around the neighborhoods. When stuff started getting crazy and serious, that was right when you pivoted to music. And you know, my my bedroom was like uh, the window facing the street. Mm-hmm. And my friends, you know, after school, they come and they knock on the glass and I let the window up and they poke their heads in. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working on music, you know. They're like, well, we're about to go over here and do that. I'm like, well, y'all go ahead. You know, I'm going to keep working on this. They're like, all right, we'll come back later. We'll come get you later. And they come back later. I'm still locked in, you know, headphones, everything. <laughs> and hearing him say that, it was weird. That was the first time it hit me that um, the calling God had for me was the same calling that was going to save my life, that God was going to use that thing to uh, disconnect me from the relationships and the activities that would probably have doomed, you know, my adulthood or you know, because I, I didn't have the capacity to make the best decisions at that time. I wasn't doing it. You know, so, I had the capacity, but, you know, like. Well, so, so you know, you're thinking about the, the listener right now. And then, you know, there's there's I mean, you're you're following a thread. You're 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 doing some things. I mean, what would you what do you say to to folks? I mean, they've got dreams and, and, and they're wanting to 
to to do things and and maybe they're not even maybe they don't even have the, the the you know a mom that that pressed you and mm-hmm. then and the opportunities that you had i mean what do you what what do you say to them i mean how do you help them kind of get unstuck yeah uh, in in their place well one of the main you know themes that i kind of have is you have to dig in dig deep and ask yourself what do you really want and if you really want to make an impact, if you really want to grow, if you really want to be effective, you know, in life, if you really want to be successful, if you really want that, then you have to begin to understand that nothing can stop you if, as long as you look at every barricade as an obstacle and not something to block you out. Mm-hmm. I guess the best way to say it, like, everything can be overcome basically with mm-hmm. enough but you gotta know that like you gotta go into it saying there's gonna be some parts of this journey that's gonna be really difficult and really hard to overcome but it's just an obstacle it's not meant to be a thing that turns you around and sits you down a lot of times obstacles are just things to that grow you and mm-hmm. pull more potential out of you you have no idea what you're capable of until you get in front of an obstacle you know, you don't know how fast and strong you are, you know, until you sit there and they cut a timer on and say, all right, now beat that guy. And you're like, well, I didn't never race. I never knew I had to beat a guy, mm-hmm. you know. But then once you get out there and get to go, you're like, I'm faster than I thought I was. That was difficult. But I overcame that. I did it. That's the way I look at, you know, purpose and passion and all the things that we have in our hearts to do. Look at all the things you feel like are blocking you from getting to where you need to be and re rename them from, you know, uh, I guess like a barricade or I can't, I can't get over this, mm-hmm. but look at it like an ops. It's just an obstacle. You know, you can get over an obstacle. Obstacles can be figured out, but you can't give up. You can't allow no to be like an answer. And that's something that I've had to endure, you know, was being told no or being told um, you're not talented enough or you're not good enough or being overlooked. I think one of my biggest things was like I had always felt like I was overlooked. Like I'm like, I'm right here and I'm capable. But I never felt like I had always felt like people wasn't seeing it. And it made me question myself like, am I not good at what I do? Like, how did you cultivate that, Marcus? I mean, because, you know, I think everybody can identify with obstacles. And and you've pointed out how, you know, you, you and, and how you look at that obstacle mm-hmm. really helps define whether you're going to, uh, if, you, if you see the obstacle as just an impossible something, well, it's going to be impossible to yep. you. And, and if you look at it differently, um, or even if you start out, I mean, what do you what do you do to cultivate hope in the middle of that? I mean, well, so there's a verse in Proverbs that says, "As a man thinketh, so he is." And so, originally, you know, original Marcus from the beginning, I'd see something hard and then I'd move away from it. You know, any anytime something just seemed a little more difficult than I thought it should be. I say, you know what? I don't, got, I don't have time for that. Uh, that's stupid. You know, I, whatever excuse I come up with, I let it go. I wouldn't push it. 
And as I began to dig into whether I have been as effective and impactful with my life in making the impact I need to make, I realized that those no's and being over all those things were the things that I was allowing to detract me from the goal. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking on that mantra of Proverbs as a man thinking so he is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, will I make a great impact in the world? I will. And, and I, and I shall, like, I'm not going to settle for anything else because I know that if I settle meant here in my head, in my heart, that I will live up to whatever uh, I believe. And I believe that God called me to be a warrior and fight for people. Um, And I believe that God called me to use my gifts and talents to inspire people, motivate people and um, push, you know, culture forward. Um, I believe that. I feel like if I don't do that, then I'm living a life less than what it was intended. For most people that's trying to cultivate motivation, I think that cultivating motivation isn't really the way to do it. It's really to cultivate identity and find out. Hmm, that's a big that's a big comment right yeah. there. You're not cultivating motivation. Yeah. It's not trying to rev your engine up every day. Right. I'm gonna Oh, I'm going to do better today. <laughs> yeah. know, I'm going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's cultivating their, their identity. Yeah. Who do you believe you are and what are you supposed to do? Like, what, because of this is who you are, what should be happening? What shouldn't be happening? Because you exist. And um, I've heard you speak on this too. Like, because, they're, because we're the salt of the earth, what's different because we're around? Yeah. You know, and if people begin to ask themselves those questions— who am I and what changes because I exist? What impact do I want to have? You begin Once you identify with who you are, then you'll perform on the level that you believe about yourself. And I believe that God has such a high level, you know, there's levels of things that we probably couldn't even imagine until we get over the first level and the second level and the third. And then we think like, man, I never thought I'd be this far. And God's like, that ain't even the full, that's not even the full stretch. Good thunder out there. Want to say that part again? That's not even the full stretch. We're going to let them handle that. Yeah. That was kind of loud. Uh, Storm said, yeah. hey. I saw the flash. And then a little bit later, so it's it's a few miles away. I did see the flash. I saw it reflect off. Oh, did yeah, you? I yeah, saw it. Yeah. I was like, I think that's lightning. Um. Yeah, so what I was saying was that uh, God does a lot in our lives through, you know, we we make these different accomplishments and we get, and we say, wow, that's amazing. And God's like, that's not even the full uh, mm. extent of which I can, I, let me show you what you can do. Like if you truly believe that you're created for my purpose and to do things that make an impact, let me show you. And that's what I've experienced. It's just, I'm not, I don't believe that, honestly, that, and I know people like, uh, you know, different people get upset when I say it, but Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I'm more talented than other people. I think that there's people who can run around, uh, just laps around me Mm -hmm. (laughs) in music. 
and creativity. I think that, you know, I work with youth. I think there are people that can run laps around me uh, talking to youth and doing all of that. I think sometimes the difference when it comes to visibility and people seeing you and knowing is the setting high standards for what you want to accomplish. And so, yeah, I could just do music in my garage and cool, man. Like, that's cool. That's fun. But I want to do something. I want to make music that makes a long-term impact, you know, in people's lives. I want people to come back and say, I heard your song. You know, I heard a song from you two years ago and something you said stuck with me. And if that's the goal going in, then I know that, okay, I got to go really hard with this. I have to, number one, I can't have a long-term impact if I don't get it to the people. So it just changes the way I plan out the uh, what I'm going to do. It changes the way that I approach it. When I'm writing a song, you know, I write it based on the identity of who I am and what I believe that I'm called to do. And if I'm called to, you know, make a legitimate, you know, impact through my gift, then it goes beyond just entertainment. It's like the, the, the God given talent that I have from God, you know, it just woke up. That's a gift that I didn't ask for it. I didn't work hard to love music. It just, happened and then it was my job to cultivate the gift you know but other than that I've honestly just pursued you know I know that I can make music but how do I make music that sticks you know to people well well, let's talk about a a song that sticks yeah in fact (laughs) I mean you you uh you've you've written a uh, uh, you know, you've done a lot of stuff. In fact, yeah. I I can't wait to ask you about the music production. Yeah, how it is that you wound up uh, producing a uh, for Lecrae and and uh, that was a big one. Huh? It sounded like That's a right little. <laughs> it sounded like a um something broke with that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we, got, we got some lightning going on in the background. And it's like, uh, I think it was, maybe that was just the Lord affirming whatever it was I was saying oh, yeah. about you right there. It was a, it was underscoring a big bass. Um, well, let's, let's, let's look at the, look at the, let's look at your song lion, the declaration. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, and, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to, we're going to play a piece of it uh-huh. and, and we're going to play it. We're going to chop it up into four sections. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, and we're going to look at the, we're going to play the first section. And, and then I want you to talk about some of the lyrics. I mean, you, you're very purposeful. You, you've made that really clear. You, and you write out of who you are, and, and, and it's a whole sense of identity. So I think that, that we have the lion or, or lion here in front of us. That, that's kind of purposeful. So let's, uh, let's listen to the first segment, and then we'll come right back. Okay, so there we there we had it. So you let, let's look at what you said at the first stop. I mean, you start off. I mean, read that first section, would you? 
see what I want and I go get it. And then I kind of say in the background, that's, mm. that's my vision. Under no conditions will I quit it and I'm committed. Um, what's a struggle? I woke up ready to rumble. I was built to run the jungle. I'm a lion. I mean, that's a statement. I mean, I'm <laughs> telling you, Marcus, that is a statement of identity right there. Well, a unique, a unique circumstance with that song was that, uh, Good friend of mine, David Skidmore. Y'all may know him. You know, yeah, vaguely. The, the listeners the may know him. Yeah, he's he's right here. <laughs> he's the, he's, um, he's but the producer. He he was doing a class at the time uh, called Lion Leader, and mm-hmm. um, very impactful, very pivotal time in my life. I was in a season of transition uh, and things like that, and I was going to these classes, and he approached me and was like, "I think it'd be cool if I had like a theme song." <laughs> and so like as a person who's literally being you know encouraged and uh even growing in a lot of ways through you know the program like what do you have in mind and it's like oh you know some you know lions i'm a little forceful you know like he's giving me some but i said you know i i, I got you you know i think that we can get the the point across pretty well what we want to I think so. Yeah. So that's that, that, you know, the idea of the song was actually coming from a real place of a real season I was in and a real um, realization that I was having, you know, like it's like that I was learning to be a lion or to tap into that lion that I have, you know, in me. When you say at the top of it, you say, see what, see what I want and I go get it. That's my vision. Yeah. Under no conditions will I quit it. I'm committed. Yeah. This is uh, uh, in, 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 what's a struggle. I woke up ready to rumble. I was built to run, not to run in the jungle. I was built to run the jungle. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a lion. Oh, yeah. Well, that's Thri- thriving in the chaos, you know? Yeah. Like that's the, you think about the jungle. If you drop somebody in the jungle, they're terrified. I mean, it's all type of ways to die in the jungle. Yeah. And it just feels like chaos if you don't understand it. But um, I believe that the lion knows its habitat well. It knows what's the. He you thrives. Know. Yeah, he thrives they thrive. In the chaos. Yeah, in the chaos, and they dominate through the chaos, and they have a presence in the chaos. And I think that uh, when I was writing this, and I say, "What's the struggle?" It's not denying that struggle exists. Is denying that it should stop us. Yes. Like. It's, it's the obstacles you were talking about earlier yeah. in, in our conversation here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did I had no idea we would be talking about that stuff. And then I'm looking at the lyrics and I'm like, oh it fits. Dang, yeah. he's consistent. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. I really I really do. Well, let's go to the next segment. Let's we're gonna we're gonna listen to the next piece. Okay, there we have it. So uh, re- read that next section, would you? Love hard, live full, and lead strong. Hear me roar, I'm in beast mode. Leading a tribe, we look like a pride. Take a look in my eyes, I got a lion that's living inside. Wow. Now, uh, it's a, it's, I mean, that's coming from the same place. Yeah. Except, that, except you also start off and you it's, it's love hard, live full, Lead strong. I mean, it's sort of like you're maxing out in every category. <laughs> yeah, that and and that was like directly inspired from David because that was kind of the 
the theme oh, of, the, of the line of, leaders. Of, uh, line leader. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you can't, none of these things have negative consequences to them. You know, if you're loving hard, what's the, there's no, you're not hurting anyone. You're living a full life and that's just living to your maximum potential that you have. Like just live as, as full as you can, you know, create opportunities, make opportunities, take opportunities, and then just lead strong. I mean, strong leaders that, I mean, that I believe that more strong leaders creates more strong leaders. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent, uh, on board with, with that mantra right there. Is that, is that the word mantra? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're this, that's good. Well, let's, okay. Let's listen to the, the, the third piece. This is how it feels when you know your role, when you plan a vision, watch it grow, goals overload, what you know. This is how it feels to go blow for blow. I'm on set of rest that got your chest. Let's go toe to toe. Look, I want the gold. This is wrong. Okay. So read the, read, read your lyrics to that piece. Yes. This is how it feels when you know your role. When you plant a vision, watch it grow. Goals overload what you know. This is how it feels to go blow for blow. Almost out of breath. Stick out your chest. Let's go toe to toe. Look, I want the gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're just real namby pamby about it. Gee whiz. But here's another. You're going back to the issue of identity here again. Yeah. It's, you're talking about this is how it feels when you know your role. Absolutely. When you plant a vision, watch it grow. Yeah. So, you know, uh, where where'd this come from? Well, I, one thing I truly believe is that, you know, even in the gospel, it boils down to who we are in Christ. Yeah. And what God says about us, what God believes about us. And when you know who you are, when you know— uh, what what your intention was for being created, mm-hmm. it changes the way that you leave the house every day. Yeah. You know, it yeah. just affects. Yeah. And a lot of times when we look at the world and we say, man, people just seem lost, that's the truest statement. And I don't just look at people lost because they don't know the Lord. There are people who have a relationship with God. And but they're, they're still st- lost. They're still lost. Like they're still trying to figure out like what is my role in this world. Yeah. But when you know, oh my goodness, like it's almost like you just you you leave tire tracks everywhere you go because you go you know you're running over everything because it's like I know what I called to do I know what I why I'm here that's why I wrote that um, see and that's just that yeah. is just so powerful Marcus because that's that is that's sure been my observation too when when uh, uh, when people have a sense of who who is my God who's my Father. And who does he say I am? I mean, that is the foundation. You can build on that foundation. Oh, the most I don't affirming. care what your circumstances. Yeah, you can you can build on. And and hey, you're walking you're walking proof of that. Oh yeah, but it took and it took a process to get there. You know, like there was yeah, a, there was a period of time where I couldn't figure out like who I was. But it was probably the most unsuccessful uh, segment of my life when I look back. And it's because I was just searching for yes. like purpose and direction. And so, yeah. All right, let's let, let's play the last segment. This is royalty. Young Simba. Eliminate my contenders. Stay in the race. I'm a winner. I innovate like inventor. 
agenda. Yep. Never fold, never stop. Nah. Never scared to take a shot. Russell Westbrook, why not? Okay. Re- would you read us that uh, the, the last piece? Okay. This is royalty, young Simba. Eliminate my contenders. Stay in a race. I'm a winner. I innovate like inventors. I orchestrate my agenda. Never fold, never stop. Never scared to take the shot. Russell Westbrook. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> a little little personal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, bad. My God. I, like, I mean, he shoots. I, you know, whether we're screaming no at the screen, like, no. No, no. no. He goes. Russ takes the shot, man. Like, <laughs> and here's the deal. Him taking the shot. He was the tr- he broke the triple du- double record. Yep, he yep. hit game winners that nobody thought he could hit. We were like, no, 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 not you. <laughs> but he hit the shot, and we're like, yeah, you know. And it's like if anybody represents like I, Russell Westbrook is a guy with he know who he is on the court. Yeah, you know I can't speak for his personal life, but on that court, it don't matter what your statistics say about his percentages <laughs> and all of that. He knows what he's capable of. He knows that he can hit it from half court, you know, if the if the timing's right. And so we watch we watch this guy develop um as a player coming in young and yep. you know to this confident like force on the court. And when he comes down that lane you need to move because <laughs> Russell Westbrook has already decided in his mind what he's about to do. And <laughs> you can stand there, you can defend if you want, but you're just going to be on the poster when it's all said and done. I, the why not that, listen, we, if more people would just, well, I put it like this. If you don't know who you are, yeah. then you won't ever take a shot. You know, you won't ever get out there and have that presence in the world. But when you come to, like, knowing who you are and knowing, like, because I feel like there's a line in all of us. I feel like there's, you know, uh, and there's, like, a parallel there because, you know, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Right. You know, so I believe that especially for us us who are believers, you know, there's that lion and the lamb in us, you know, where we have to learn how to balance the two. And there's a time to be a lion. And I believe, like for me, I tap into my faith. I tap into uh, my true belief system, which is based on what I feel that God has told me about myself. And I get out there and I may tear something up on the way. You know, I may go, I may duck over a couple people's heads, but I have the confidence to go for it and to do it and to try it. And it took a while to get there, but... uh, but you just kept persisting. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 like everybody. There's there's there are seasons of up and there's seasons of down. Absolutely. And, and if you'll use and like you've already touched down, if you'll use a season of down as an opportunity, yeah, and not just an obstacle. Oh yeah, James James talks about that. You know, uh, our trials and tribulations that we go through, and how that it grows us. You know, like we're not we're not just going through stuff because it's just. God is just having a good time watching. You know, these are opportunities to become greater and better than we were before. And I, my only hope is that every time I go through a hard time that I come out sharper and and more efficient and more skilled and, you know, <laughs> you know, like going through, you know, and with time, you you have more wear and tear, you know, and you can see like, you go through it once 
And then it come back around again. I already been through that. Yeah, I've you know, been through I can that. handle that. Yeah. It, it almost destroyed me the first time. But this time, I know what it is. That's the advantage of living a while. Yeah. You, you live long <laughs> enough. And now you're getting oh, yeah. in the ripe early 30s. Oh, oh my. You're going to be an old man. Uh, okay. Now, I'm going to be, I, I, I'll get in trouble if if I wrap this conversation up if without talking about uh, how you won uh, a Dove Award oh, man. Uh, for for producing uh, music for Lecrae. Wow. And then for those of you who don't know, I mean, I mean, not everybody is a is a, in the, you know Christian hip hop or anything right. like that. But tell us who Lecrae is first of all. So Lecrae is a Christian hip hop artist. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a drum beat, I think. Yeah, from just a the, little bit. From yeah, that, heaven. It is. <laughs> they said it's gonna storm. They they it's gonna storm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so Lecrae is a uh, he's a Christian hip hop artist who've had like you know mainstream success. Um, he started out in Texas, and I actually met him before he blew up. We had a concert together because I had a, a group at the time called Exodus Movement, uh-huh. and. Somebody booked us for a New Year's event. And so Lecrae co- drives up in his little bitty Honda. And, <laughs> you know, we're just like, oh, yeah, I heard your stuff before. And he's like, oh, cool. And we, like, swap CDs. Yeah. Um, he's won a Grammys and all type of awards since then, you know. Like, he's he's on TV. He's on, you know, right now he's all over Twitter right now for something that yeah, he did. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just, the, <laughs> it comes with being a celebrity. That's, but Yep, yep. Um, we swapped those CDs at that show and I was producing basically all the songs for my group at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Exodus Movement. And for people who don't know what producing means, it's like the the music in the background of the vocals. Mm-hmm. So I'd sit down and create that and then we rap over that or sing over that or whatever. And so um, I had another friend named Cam who came into contact with Lecrae and he's a singer. And me and Cam are really close, but he sings on one of Lecrae's albums. And we're like, that was really cool. You did that. It went well. So they called him back and called him back. And he's on a few projects. Well, he's working on his own project and he plays it for Lecrae. And Lecrae hears it and he said, who produced this? And then he says, well, this guy Cadence produced it. He's, he's my buddy. You he call said, K- yeah, Cadence. Cadence K- is my... Yeah, that's... Your, yeah, that's my... That's you're, my... You're, yeah, yeah. You're like Gnome de Plume or whatever the yeah. like writer name, whatever the... <laughs> yeah, Cadence. yes. Dot com. Dot com. Oh, OKC. OKC.com. OKC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cadence, OKC.com. So he uh, begins to inquire and he says, well, he produced for these guys Exodus Movement. And then Lecrae says, they oh. gave me a CD at a concert and I was wondering who was producing all those songs for those guys. It's the same guy. So he said, will you connect us? So I get a text that says, hey, Lecrae wants to talk to you. Is it cool? And I'm like, I guess, you know. Sure, no, no, yeah, big deal. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And so he he called me and we talked on the phone for a while. And he just really, uh, it was really cool. He really just shared with me that he like admired my gift and that, um, whether, you know, you know it or not, he was like, people hear you. Like, he was like, I was listening to you guys' music to get hype for my events, you know? What? And wow. he was like, so this is crazy how it all just reconnects. 
Um, he told me that twice, actually. Another time I met him, he was like saying that same thing. He was like, you guys kind of like were some of the first people we heard talk about, you know, street life and like just hard topics in Christian rap, which isn't coincidental because the first Christian hip hop music I fell for was gospel gangsters who were doing the same thing. And so that impacted me and it impacted my approach towards doing Christian rap was like, I don't want to just do a bunch of stuff for youth group kids. I want to make music that a guy that's going through some real stuff could hear it and it makes them think and it, and it impacts them in a way that um, can cause the uh, uh, catapult, you know, life changes and heart changes. So I send them, you know, after that phone conversation, I went to the studio immediately and made something within an hour. And I sent it. <laughs> you just whip something up? Yeah, real like, quick. I'm going to go bake yeah. a cake real quick. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Like, I wouldn't always deny that, like, I had a gift. Until I realized that, like, going and doing those type of things, just be like, I know what I'm going to do for him. And just go and do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was, I've come to accept that, like, that's, what it is. It's not that I didn't have to that, take classes. Yeah, when you deny that, I mean, boy, I got rebuked one time on this by by a gal because she made a real point. You know, there's pride. Yeah. And then she said, the, you know, the other other gutter, you know, like you're bowling, there's a gutter. You have two gutters. <laughs> yeah. You hit either one of them, you're doomed. You're doomed. And one's pride and one is false humility. Yes, absolutely. And that is denying who you really are. Absolutely. And that's a dangerous thing. It's dangerous, do. especially when you're doing what people see you doing yeah and it's just like no yeah. it's not, you know and it's like it's okay to say thank you i appreciate that you know so so he sent I, it off to him that day he wrote me back that day with a bunch of like exclamation points and was like that's the one i don't even need nothing else usually when you send artist tracks you gotta you know it's a back and forth he immediately jumped on it um which was cool because i really liked it so i was like <laughs> you know I feel like it's the one, but I'm not the customer here. I'm not the customer, right? I didn't hear anything for about four months. Oh, my gosh. Anything. It was just silence. We wasn't talking back and forth, nothing. Yeah. And then a guy calls me, and he's like, hey, I'm going to email you a contract for the song. (laughs) And so I'm looking. I'm, you know, doing all my, handling my business. Oh, so you wrote the song, the whole. Well, so when you produce a song, since you created the sound, yes. then you're listed as a songwriter. Okay. So okay, okay. That makes sense. I have to get all my publishing stuff and yeah. send it back to them so that they can credit me and all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, which was really cool because that was my first experience uh having a legit like pu- a royalty yeah. um business contract. And they were the contracts were okay. They're pretty good. And so I didn't hear the song. The album comes out. I go to Walmart. I got to get this. Get it. I don't know what the name of the song is. <laughs> so I'm listening to the album, just waiting. I'm like, I don't know what they did to it. And the song is called Go Hard on Lecrae's album Rebel. Mm-hmm. And when I heard the song, I mean, I don't know how much happier I could have been. I <laughs> I was just like, this is what they did with it. Like everything was just perfect because 
I had dealt with a thing where like my style of music is, it has like a dark feel to it. It has mm-hmm. a dark tone, real hard, real gritty. And um, I didn't feel like Christian rap really could use it. You know, like maybe my stuff is just too dark and, you know. <laughs> you're, and, you're thinking, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Wah, yeah. wah, 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 wah. And, it's, and, and I'm listening to this song and I just remember my friends, their mouths were just like wide open. Like, bro, I cannot believe this. Like, listen to this song. This is the best song on this album, you know? And it was that type of thing. I don't, I wouldn't have said that myself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it is, it is it, what it is. It is what it is. Well, he got a stellar uh, and Dove Award nomination, but he didn't win. And so... I got a nomination letter from the Dove Awards and stuff like that. And I said, well, that's cool. That's awesome. Frame it, put it up. I got a Dove Award nomination. I'm good. Yep, yep. I don't care. Yep. I never thought I'd be doing anything like that. So I was okay with a nomination. And then um, he calls back and he's like, I'm working on the next project. What you did last, I need something Dark and heavy and big like that again. <laughs> so, okay. No problem. I'll go to Send the me some stuff. Yes. Yeah, this time I sent two at the same time, uh-huh. but I still knew which one he was going to get. Like, <laughs> you kind of know, like when you do it, like uh-huh. he's, he's going he's gonna, to, you know, and he, he told, he wrote back immediately. You know, I sent the email, I sent the MP3. He wrote back immediately. I need the files to this ASAP. Like, this is, you need the what for this? The files. So oh, like, the file. oh yeah, yeah. yeah so I had files. to break it all down yeah, yeah, for him yeah, so his engineers yeah. could do what they need to do. Yeah. And that song, once again, I didn't hear anything for a long time. He comes out with an album called Rehab. I was like, okay, it's the same scenario, though, so, you know. But the contract guy didn't call. So I said, okay, that's interesting, you know. Well, <laughs> I can listen through it. It's not on there. I'm a little let down. Like I told people I was on the next oh, project. No. Oh, it's no. not on there. Yeah. And then that was in September. In December, the contract guy calls and is like, okay, he's putting out uh, pr- the project with a different thing. Uh-huh. Sends me the contract. I fill it out. I'm just like, cool, whatever. I That last one, that was a big project. I'm like, I wanted to be on that one, you know? I felt like that was the one. It was the big follow-up, you know? And so he did basically rehab overdose, and he dropped it in January, which is an unusual month to drop the project. But since it crossed over the year, when the awards came around, the rehab album, it got um, nominated, but it didn't win. Mm Mm-hmm. But when the next award came around for Rehab Overdose, which I was on, he won. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's how I got a Dove Award was um, I was on the album that he won. And, like, he hadn't won any leading up to that point. Uh So that was his first successful, like— Project. And so now you're kind of glad you weren't on that, that, that bigger project. I am. Like, and that's one of those things where you just got to trust God's uh, providence and things. It's just like, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, I missed out. That was the one. That was the popular one. Everybody. And most people, they don't even go back to that one as much. 
that project specifically. And like that was his one where he was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go mainstream now. I'm gonna go commercial. We're gonna get, we're gonna do it really big on this one. And he got slighted for the for the Dove Award. I mean, the people who won didn't even rap. <laughs> and I mean, everybody was up in arms like, oh my gosh. And then that next year, he wins. I was at Texas Roadhouse on a Sunday night. Cause that's when the awards air. Mm-hmm. Or that's when they happen, I guess, with my family. And I'm getting texts from my it happened in Atlanta. My friends in Atlanta are texting me, other artists and stuff, and they're like, Congrats, congrats. I'm like, why are people what, sending what, me what? congrats for what? So finally I text one guy back and I was like, what happened? He was like, You got a devil award. And I was like, oh, sweet. Nice. So I didn't even know. I like go to Google and I'm like searching. Which I watched. Yeah. And it just goes to show that there's no, there's no limit to where we, I'm, I'm a East side kid from Oklahoma city making music in a closet in my mom's house. <laughs> the, every song that I produced was done in my mom's house, you know, and she's coming out in the robe saying, turn that down. I'm trying to sleep. It's too loud. And <laughs> imagine the middle image of all that. Yeah. Oh, you're thinking, oh, it's a big time. And you're saying, well, yeah. actually, I'm at my mom's house. And, and listen, like, and a lot of guys got to see that. There's so many artists, um, local artists who are, who have had prominent impacts in the culture. JB, um, uh, there's a guy, Dre Murray, Fidel. These are all guys who in a Christian hip hop or just hip hop in general, they were at my mom's house. <laughs> and my mom comes in and she's like, your friends are here. You know, and it's just like um, coming from, you know, I'm really blessed to have those humble beginnings because I cherish everything. I think everything is awesome and cool. Like on that side of it, it's like, I'm like, you know, the first time I got paid real money for production. And when I say real, all money's real, but I was usually making music for my friends and people in my peer circles. And I knew that guys wasn't rolling in dough. So that first time somebody's like, offer me four figures. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. So we're in a different, you know, we've, we've definitely escalated into a different realm of like music career. And, since then, I mean, I just feel like I've come to appreciate those early mo- times of just learning and being small and mm. being, uh, people don't know who you are. People don't know to look for you. Mm. And you just kind of got that grassroots mm-hmm. thing. And then it like, just remembering how it felt when you see something take on, you know. And and I don't know if you've had like that feeling of you start something and you're just happy if one person jumping on board. But when you realize 20 people jump on, it's like, oh, okay, we're doing something. You know, that's that's been the story of my life. <laughs> well, well, Marcus, uh, and I tell you, uh, you, this has just been wonderful. And and you, uh, uh, you're an inspiration. I mean, you're a hope generator. And, Thank you. I mean, and I just, I just so uh, hope, I guess uh, that. That that people that are listening are, are have really heard the cycle that you have been 
sharing, the seasons, the, 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 where you have to mentally be, what do you have to be willing to do and to see joy yeah. in, in even the opposition and to recognize that, that all that is is just an opportunity yeah, and that's and that is exactly what you've been sharing. That's exactly what I mean. I I just love the fact I'm comforted by the fact that you are a guy working who has a passion to work with youth, because I know after listening to you uh, now, I know what you're injecting into those young people. Mm-hmm. You're ju- you're you're just giving away what's already effervescing off of you, and that is that's hope. Yeah, and a, and a and a plan and a goal, and you're and you're just really pushing them like like your mom was. You're speaking to different destiny yeah. over their lives, and so thank you, thank uh, you so very much. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm just so tickled uh, to <laughs> uh, to get to be walking the earth at the same time. So, oh uh, yeah, anyway, oh yeah, that, there's reasons for all of that. There is yes, there's reason absolutely. for all of it. So, all right, well. Thank you for being here today. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you for talking all about it. And and you're you're one humble fella, and I <laughs> and I really appreciate that in you. I appreciate so that, yeah. so uh, for the rest of you listening in, thank you for doing so. And and just we will just look forward to seeing you next time. So let me give you some concluding thoughts. If hope were a person in the room, what would she say to us? Well, I think, first of all, she'd say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that an unchanging God designed, built you, and sent you into a moment of history as part of his loving strategy to transform a chaotic world and and make it good again. You are called as change agents. Hope would tell you that she flourishes when we listen to God and set goals for our lives that press us further toward becoming that person God has always been willing for us to become. Hope would tell you to set action steps towards achieving those goals. They don't have to be giant steps. Start with baby steps so you can be encouraged along the way. But hope would also tell you that you've got to not just make plans to step, but you must exercise the willpower to just take that next right step. Step by step by step gets you to the destination God has for your life. It's the long obedience in the same direction. And finally, Hope would tell you that God sees us not as we are, but as we could become if we will dare. It's the same for our communities. As followers of Jesus, you are a sent people and all humans should flourish because God's kids are in town. What evil thing dies because you exist? No one else is coming. You're the generation sent to your community in this moment. You're it. Press into God's purposes for your lives and you will discover that hope abounds and that Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Thank you for joining us today on Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. Once again, I'd be honored if you would take a moment to rate this podcast, review it, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs hope. We want to thank Brianna Gaither for the song, I Won't Rest Until, from her album, Vanity. Remember, You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who is willing for us to live meaningful lives of profound impact. I invite you to just show up and watch God show off. 